Welcome to episode 186 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Danielle De Leon Guerrero. Danielle served in the Air Force, and when she left the military, she felt alone and was looking for a community with women veterans. So she created her nonprofit, Serve Like Her, during the pandemic. And once she connected with other veterans, she began to learn about other women veteran organizations that were able to support her in the work that she was doing. She continues to work to create events that help support the women veteran community. And she also, of course, shared her story of being in the military. So let's get started with this week's interview with Danielle. Welcome to the show, Danielle. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here, Amanda. Thank you. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Well, I originally wanted to join the military in my senior year of high school, but I was 17 and my mom wouldn't sign for me to become an aerial gunner at the time is what I wanted to be. It was just past like post 9-11. And so I think it freaked her out a little bit. But then I decided to look into it again after meeting a mutual friend of mine I worked with who was already in the military. And she thought I would be a good candidate. So at the age of 20 years old, I joined the delayed entry program for about six months. And then I ended up joining two days after my 21st birthday. I just was in a stage in my life where I knew I didn't want to work three jobs, but I didn't know what I wanted to do in college or what I wanted to do with my life. So I think I went in because I needed something structured, something to keep me occupied. So instead of going to college, you started working and you were working lots of jobs, three jobs. That's a lot of jobs. Yeah, I was actually going to college full time at UT San Antonio, but I was kind of in and out of school because obviously I was working too much to pay for school and just was not doing good in my studies. Yeah, if you're trying to pay for your education and work and go to school, like that's and and study, it's like, where's time to do all the things? So that makes a lot of sense. And you picked the Air Force, right? I did. I picked the Air Force for a couple of reasons. My great grandfather was in the Army Air Corps and we would joke all the time before he passed. Like, if you ever go, decide to go to the military, like go Air Force. And I was like, ha ha ha. Yeah, OK. And so when my my friend confronted me, she was in the Air Force enlisted going officer and she happened to be in the Air Force. And so it just kind of naturally went that way. I never looked at any other branch. And so you said you went in right after your 21st birthday. So you were a lot older than a lot of the recruits. What was that like? Yeah, it was different to say the least. I was like not used to being treated like a baby, basically, because they were like, this is how you pay your bills and you got to do this. And I'm like, I've been living on my own for almost four years now. Like, What are we doing? And it was weird because I was always used to being the youngest in the crowd to then kind of feeling like the oldest, like the mom of the group where girls were coming up to me like, well, how do I do this? And, you know, what comes next and, you know, how to schedule things. And so that that was awkward. But was it something that you dove into because you felt a responsibility or did you try and shy away from it? No, I don't think I shied away from it. I didn't mind it. I've always been like kind of the group unofficial leader in everything I do. So I was good with it. It just was weird for me. That makes sense. So what was your career field? Sure. Um, When I joined, gosh, it changed several times. I believe it was a three alpha zero X one. So it was information management. So I was in communications. And I shied away from the aero gunner thing after I talked to my friend and she talked about opportunities like other bases you could go to and don't pigeonhole yourself in a career that maybe doesn't have a lot of bases you can be stationed at. And I didn't, again, know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Not that I know now, but (laughs) it gave me kind of a career choice. And so uh, we landed on information management after taking my ASVAB. 
So yeah, I mean, I just kind of signed up looking at the binder, the big binder everyone looks at. And I was like, that sounds cool. And how long was your tech school? Oh my gosh, this feels like forever ago. I want to say the tech school was like six to eight weeks because I know I was one of the last flights to have like the shorter boot camp too. So I was at like the end of the BDU era. Okay. So how long was boot camp? Six and a half weeks, I think it was. Yeah. I was looking at enlisting about the same time that you went into the military and it was six weeks or six and a half weeks. So maybe I just always thought it was six weeks because of that. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I wish I would have known about the ROTC program. I totally would have gone that because I was like three and a half years in and that was kind of a bummer to find out after the fact. Yeah, I just got lucky. My friend and I went to lunch and he was doing ROTC and he was like, before you enlist, let me tell you about this. And I was like, thank you so much for telling me about this because I had no idea. And it was actually, I kept telling the recruiter, I want to go to college, but I want to have a way to help pay for it. And he'd never mentioned ROTC. And I was like, I wish you would have told me I could do this ROTC thing because that's basically what I asked you for. And you didn't even say, oh, there's an option where you can go to college and get your education paid for. When it's so crazy because they knew I was going to school because that's why I was in debt for six months is I wanted to get that Airman First Class rank, the E3 rank. So it's like they already knew how far in I was, but nobody ever explained that to me. That's why I wrote a book. Yeah. <laughs> girls Guide to Military Service to help young women and girls like me and you who could have easily, I could have easily not found out about it and you didn't find out about it. And it, it could have changed everything about your whole experience. Totally agree. So you went to tech school and then where was your first assignment? Uh, so tech school was at Keesler. My first assignment was Charleston Air Force Base in South Carolina. And do you have any highlights or experiences either from basic to your first assignment? Um, let's see. For basic for me, I was never an athletic type. So the like running, I was terrified of in pushups. It's like, there's no way I was like the kid that would walk when the coach wasn't like looking at you in gym. And so I thought I was going to die. And <laughs> I just got with this group of girls that were like, you can do this. And they cheered me on and I made it somehow. I remember getting like an ingrown toenail like the week before the last run to graduate. And they were like, okay, well, you can either like get kicked back a week and graduate later or you can run. And I was like, no, I'll run. So I was hobbling along and, you know, I got it done and, and it was it was all fine. I, I do remember like one particular moment is when we had the coin ceremony after you graduated or I think it was the day before you graduated. And um, you had to do the, the three mile run, like a parade run with all the other flights. And my parents, of course, had come down for my graduation. And that was like the first time I had seen my dad like get emotional. And he finally, for the first time ever, he's never been a very emotional person, said, you know, I'm proud of you. And that was like everything. I like fell apart. Tech school was really fun. I was one of the flights that went to night school. So that was like neat to have a different experience, I think, than some do. I was a green rope. So of course, I was leading there too. And that was a fun time. And then I remember when in tech school, during that time, our career field was already doing like a transition between like more administrative to more client support, more computer help desk stuff. And I'd never touched a computer really other than like AOL, <laughs> which I'm showing my age now. So I was like, I don't know what I got myself into. I'm never going to understand this. And they're like, don't worry, you'll never do CSA work. And then I got to my first duty station. They're like, so you're assigned to the CSA help desk, which was like the big IT help desk for the entire base. And I was like, what? 
So yeah, that kind of spins you in, I'm sure, to the following questions. But yeah, that that made for an interesting first studio location. Yeah, that's so funny. I was like, oh, AOL, I remember. (laughs) So you didn't really know a lot about computers and they were like, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. And then they're like, you're going to be helping people with computer problems. And you're like, "Uh, I don't think that's who you want to be helping you. So did you have someone who helped? train you or how did you get through that job and what did you learn from it? Sure. So I luckily I had a really good supervisor and she was a staff sergeant at the time and she was like, don't worry, like we won't set you up for failure. You'll have like time to be able to get acclimated to all the things. But I was already nervous. So like the first day I show up and they're talking us through how to image a computer, like basically load it with programs. And that was my job for like a good solid few months. It was very monotonous and pretty boring. And then I started asking questions like, hey, can I answer the phone? What do I, you know, like, is there a script I can read from? Of course, there wasn't like a script you could read from. And I always tell people that get into the IT field now, my first story of my first like help desk call, I had, I think it was a colonel at the time, call me frantic because he's like late to a meeting. He's trying to print something. And he's like, it's not printing. It's not printing. Yeah, we're here 30 minutes ago. And you said it was fixed. And he's rambling on the phone. And I'm just like, little scared airman, like, uh, sir. And I panicked. And I said, sir, did you read the manual? And I just hung up the phone. (laughs) I told my sergeant what happened. And she was like, you did what? So here I am still doing communications this many years later. So, you know, not too much to worry about, but I definitely had a lot to learn. And my first duty station was all about that. I ended up excelling and I pinned staff sergeant on right at the end of my first enlistment. So at my four year mark, really enjoyed doing the help desk, um, working with people on understanding how to train them and um, communication, you know, issues with IT things. I worked for the base commander several times. And even when we went to joint base, I was their IT person. So and then got to run one of our small flights, the knowledge operation side, which was like the records management side. So it was a big, what was the saying? They always said like master of, what is that saying? Like a trait? I don't know, like master of none. I can't think of it right now. Our career field was like super broad. So it went from like administrative work, like printing out awards and medals to like working on getting someone's email fixed or a printer resolved or configed. So it was like super broad. It was a lot to cover. Yeah, it's pretty cool to hear how much you learned and how you went from being, I don't know, anything. And then you, and even like your first one call, I don't know, read the manual, good luck, bye. To actually like leading and helping people and learning more about how, you didn't just give up. You weren't like, oh, I'm a failure. I hung up on that kernel. You kept going, you answered the phone again, and you were able to help people and learn from it. So it just shows how much the military can give you opportunities, especially in areas that you may be like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. For sure, for sure. So did we miss anything from your time at Charleston that you wanted to talk about before we move on to your next assignment? Sure. Um, The big thing we didn't talk about was my deployment. Where did you deploy to and what were you doing? So I was really fortunate. I only had to deploy once and that was to Balad, Iraq. Um, And it was at the end of Operation Iraqi Freedom and the beginning of New Dawn. So that would have been 2010. And what was Iraq like at that time? Was there still a lot of 
incoming fire from for the bases or had it cooled off at all? I feel like when I arrived in like late April, early May, it wasn't super hot as far as like incoming fire and things like that. But when Ramadan kicked off, which now I can't even remember what month that was. It was like really active. I remember thinking like, oh, okay, this is a little bit more than I remember <laughs> at the beginning. And I was a, you asked me what I did. I completely didn't answer. Um, I worked for <laughs> the drawdown office, which was created um, as part of the drawdown in Iraq. So uh, my job was to go out with a young army private to all of the different flights and squadrons and units. And I had to basically handwrite um, on reports, what, how much ammo they had, um, how many people, where did they, like, what fob did they come from, how many connexes did they have, and this is for like all the contractors and stuff. And then I would go back and I'd have to manage that in a database to report to the four star, so they could kind of figure out, you know, the plan, <laughs> if you will, on how to get out and really have an accurate count of who was on base, which was really crazy to even think of at that time. Yeah, that's kind of a crazy job to think about, like, all the logistics that go into it. And how did you get to the, did you go to the FOBs or did? No, I didn't go to the FOBs. I think maybe one of my predecessors did. Luckily, like, I think they only had two other FOBs at that time that were still, like, had people there. But people were showing up, like, units were coming out of nowhere. Like, they didn't actually have a good count, to be honest, of who was there because people were just coming in from everywhere and contractors were just flooding in. And so I would just go out across um, the entire base on both sides and just document that information and report that up. That doesn't really surprise me after being in Afghanistan, because when we would like go on missions, we would go and like stay at different cops sometimes when we got stuck at different places. And it was just like a little tiny like cop combat outpost with like people at it and like a few outhouses and tents and then there was a base and then like there was another one a couple of miles down the road and like there was all this stuff and I'm sure that and like I was with the French so there were French forces American forces and they were probably like everything mismanaged exactly. and we, we had like Australians there to the Aussies were there like you said the French were there there was army there was navy it was just like we we're just all thrown in this blended base and everyone's just scrambling around trying to do whatever their mission is to do to get it done as fast as possible. Yeah, that sounds really crazy. And you also were a mom when you were deployed. So what was it like to leave your child behind? And how did you stay connected? Or were you able to stay connected? Yeah, sure. So I always like to tell like young women when they're joining about like this could happen, even if like, like, I'm not gonna have any kids, which is of course what I said. And then I ended up you know, becoming pregnant a few months after I got married. And I had my baby in my oldest daughter May of 09. And I was deployed that very next like less than a year later. And I had asked for like, months. Like, I want to go, I want to get deployed. I want to get deployed. And they're like, nah. And then as soon as I got pregnant, they were like, so you're getting deployed. And I was like, what? And so it was a really like crazy moment because I guess before that point, I was just like, oh, this is a cool career, cool job. It's got good perks. And then it became like really real. Like, okay, the Air Force like comes first. They, I mean, like they care about us, but they don't, you know, it's not like, oh, she just had a baby. We're going to let it slide. So that was 
difficult to come to terms with. I think I was pretty much in denial up until the very end. I remember even like trying to bypass some vaccinations and like they caught me when I got there. But uh, I deployed like right before her first birthday. So we celebrated her first birthday early to try to kind of like I guess, make myself feel better. Like I wasn't really missing anything, but of course it's not the same. My daughter ended up staying with my parents because her father was still a cop on base. And so he was working different shifts. So since she was in school, we sent her home. And I remember telling my mom, like, um, like, how is she going to remember me? You know, she's probably not going to remember my voice. I'm going to miss all the first, all her, you know, first steps, first haircut, first words, like all those things. And um, I remember being at the Hallmark store and that's when like the books first became really popular to record. So you could record your voice by reading a book. And so I got like all the ways I love you the most. I think it was what it was called. I have it in the closet still. But I recorded my um, voice reading this book to her and made my mom promise to like open it and read it with her every night so that she would hear my voice. So that was like my big way of trying to get that um, connection. And then my mom would continue to do like, you know, I'll do Skypes whenever you need to. And you have this whole plan and then you get there and you're like, yeah, that's not really how that works. You get like maybe one day off if you're lucky and then you're doing laundry, right? You're fighting people for washers or how to, how to do any of your things. And so sometimes the service was just bad or we'd have direct fire and, you know, I'm like hiding under a table trying to talk to my kid. So it definitely was a challenge, but I'm glad that I deployed in a time where we at least had some kind of, you know, face-to-face interaction. Well, I was at a tiny fob and we had the laundry room was right outside where I worked. And so I would be at work and I would go put a load of laundry in and then a timer would go off and we would walk over. And so that was nice. And it wasn't ever full. So we didn't have to like fight with people. Oh my gosh. So I know we're getting a little off topic here, but when I first got there, we only had a tent and I wasn't an NCO then. So I was still in like a bay with 10 other women in my direct room. And it was so hot in there because it's a freaking tent. It's already hot as it is. And you had to sit like on your washer so people wouldn't just throw your clothes out like mid wash. And then God forbid you were late, like your stuff was just on the dirt and you'd have to do it all over again. So then when we, I think our AC or something, we were fortunate because I worked for the mission support support group commander. So we were fortunate to be in a nicer building. Well, I kept having electrical problems throughout my deployment and another unit finally left so that um, we could inherit their building. Well, their building had a washer and dryer in it. So I was like, we have struck the lottery. Like, so then I got to finally like the last month to do my laundry during work, which was great. But I feel, I feel you on the laundry front. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Like the things that are like really important when you're deployed, it's like, how am I going to get my laundry done? Like here at home, you don't think about it. Or like, even if you go to like a laundromat, there's usually not a fight over like, I know it's crazy. Yeah. And another thing that I, you were talking about how you left before your daughter was a year old and the military has recently changed in the last five years, how quickly moms have to deploy after they have kids. And so now you get a full year after you have a baby. Shut up. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. That is really awesome. They also extended maternity leave from six weeks to 12 weeks. I did not know that. That uh, needed to happen for sure. Because I remember I had a really hard time with my delivery and I didn't heal well from my 
C-section that had to happen. And I ended up like basically breaking open like my my wound from the c-section and then they wanted me to the doctor was like well you need to stay um, on maternity leave longer to let it heal but of course the air force was like we don't care if you had a c-section like you'd still need to do your fitness test and so like i kept ripping the the like uh gosh what is it called not the wound but like the the cut open every time i was doing sit-ups and stuff so it just elongated this whole physical training process and it's really hard to like breastfeed and do all that stuff and still feel like yourself and basically just pick up where you left off, even though you're a completely different person, like mind, body, soul. Yeah, they've made a lot of changes. And even when my first and second son were born, my husband got 10 days of paternity leave and the Air Force now gives men like six weeks and women get 12 weeks. And it's like, that's just crazy. Like how much it's changed. And it's my son's not even 10. And my youngest is only six. So like, there's been a lot of changes in the last five years to make it better for families. It's good to hear. Definitely. Yeah. So that's a good thing that's changed for the military that makes it easier to be a mom because you know you can be home for the first year. You can choose to leave before if you want to, but you have the option to defer it if you need to. And so I think it's important to talk about that. So what was coming home from the deployment like? You said she was with your your parents. And then how did, did, were they there when you got home or did you have to go and get her? How did that all work? Yeah, so I came in, I came home like, I want to say it was like the day before Veterans Day or day after, I can't remember, in November of 2010. And she came back like a month early with my with uh, basically her grandma on her father's side. So she, my mother-in-law was taking care of her for that last month. And so they all three met me at the airport, plus a few people that I was stationed with from my base that had come home before me. And I just remember being like really nervous. Like, is she going to remember me? Like, I know we had talked and like, you know, they don't say a lot. They're one, you know, and I hadn't seen her walking. I, you know, I just really didn't know what to expect. And so I told my friend, like, can, can you just give me a minute, like stand here with me. I just want to like see her before she sees me. So I could like gather myself. And I remember her like sitting there and luckily my, my ex-husband got this on, on video, but I remember seeing her there and she has like her little welcome home mommy poster. And I was like a hot mess before I even turned the corner and I saw her and she saw me and we kind of just looked at each other and she just walked up to me and gave me a hug like nothing had ever happened and I was like she remembers me you know but she was just like this tiny little toddler and she was walking and I don't know like I didn't know any of her interests like her favorite snacks and stuff but I remember feeling like overwhelmed with happiness and like feel like I could take a deep breath for the first time like all right like you made it through it and now you get to you know be with your your family again so that that was definitely a great moment in time for sure and then like right after you got back you almost right after you got back you guys were already moving to the next place pretty much yeah I was in the middle of airman leadership school like I pinned on staff sergeant went to airman leadership school and then we got orders to Alconbury England and you know we he couldn't uh, get medically um, cleared to go. And so I didn't want to go unaccompanied because I was like, I just got back. Like, what do you mean you want me to leave for like three years? Like, yes, we get to come back every now and then, but I'm not doing that. As cool as the assignment was, I didn't want to do that. So I turned that down and we got orders to Little Rock Air Force Base. So I was like, wah, wah, like what's a Little Rock, right? But, you know, I kept, it ended up being my favorite PCS, my favorite duty station um, for active duty. So yeah, let's talk about 
what was it about? Because you think Little Rock, which is in Arkansas, and people probably are like, how is that your favorite? And so tell us what, what you liked about it so much and how it ended up being your favorite base. Yeah, so Little Rock Air Force Base, of course, like most people, most at least Air Force people know, it's like the Herc C-130 land. Um, so I was like, okay, well, what am I going to be doing here? I actually was happy that I was still going to be doing the communications IT side of my career field because, again, they were splitting us off to kind of help with the personnelist, more administrative side, which I wasn't as happy with. But so I knew I was going to be in a one deep slot. And so that was going to be a challenge. And then um, when I reported for duty, everybody was gone. They were TDY. And so I got introduced just to uh, my first sergeant, who was actually in the process of retiring and being a contractor there afterwards. So he kind of gave me the lowdown. He was like, so I know that you've been in support all these years as I, you know, communications. Now you're in the ops world. It's like a whole different <laughs> like culture and everything. And so I was a little intimidated. On top of that, there was only like less than 20 enlisted. Because we worked for a, our squadron, 20th Weapons Squadron was a geographically separated unit from Nellis. So we basically were support, the enlisted were support for the UC-130 Weapons School. And they were transferring from, I believe, what were the H models to the J models that they kind of still had a mix. And so my job was to basically prepare all of the laptops, all of the IT equipment needed, both Nippernet and Cipernet, you know, on class and class for their mission planning. Um, when we would go TDY, we would go TDY like every few months. Um, we would be gone to Nellis, of course, and to um, Colorado Springs, Colorado, which beautiful. That was, the, that was my favorite. And um, I would set up like mini networks and help them with anything they had issues with during mission planning. I would help Intel a lot, um, supporting them to make sure that they could get all of their presentations up for all of these mock exercises and things so that when the C-130 graduates uh, graduated, they were able to have all of the knowledge they needed to, to be able to, you know, to fly in all these different types of uh, situations. And so I really got to be like taken under the wing by the ops side of the Air Force, which I was really happy to experience in retrospect. I got to fly with them on the C-130s, like strapped over there, like near the ramp and go to the drop zone at night and help them with all that stuff in the pitch black and see them jumping out of planes and just really cool like stuff that normally I think the support side doesn't see. And also they don't get the experience of like how we all piece together, like why what we do matters for them. And so I do really commend like the people I served with at that squadron to help me understand like why it was so important to have a support and outside and what made it so great when we worked together. So they never made me feel like I was out of the like out of the club, you know, because I was like, oh, I'm not a flyer. And they're just they're going to hate on me. And I'm the only girl, you know, in a small squadron of about 45. So yeah, I just it, it was a really cool situation once in a lifetime. I loved all of the the civilians that I worked with. They were all prior military too. So I had a civilian counterpart that really took me under his wing too to show me a lot of just career wise um, things I could use after the military as well. Yeah, that sounds like so interesting because a lot of times when you hear about people who work in comm, you think about the mission support side and you don't hear about the ops side. So that's really cool to see. I understand like how mission support supports the mission from the mission support side, but like there's also a role that is played on the ops side, which is really cool because I don't think enough people know about how the two intersect and why they're so important. Definitely. I would highly recommend any kind of, I guess, opening for that type of thing if you're in the support field or vice versa. I think it really gives you the full like spectrum of 
what the Air Force does best. Yeah. And you said that you were already a mom when you transferred there. So what was it like to be a mom and going TDY and like one man or one woman deep? So where there's it a lot of hours? Like how what was that experience like of being a mom and serving in the military? Yeah, so I had my first daughter in 2009, and then I deployed in 2010 for seven months to Iraq. And then we got our orders not too long after we got back. And so at that time, my husband was working for um, security forces as one of the air provosts, like civilian cops. And we thought like, oh, this is great. Anywhere I transfer to, like he'll be able to transfer to. Well, it doesn't really work like that, like most things in the military. And the sequestration happened, I think, which was in like Obama's first term. So I got my orders. We were like, okay, we're going from Air Mobility Command to Air Mobility Command. So that should be pretty easy. No, they didn't have any spots for him. So I actually had to PCS with my daughter before him for about three to four months so that he could continue to like get a check, right? Because we couldn't really afford for him to stop working. So I reported my first duty station by myself, don't know anyone, young mom, and find out like automatically, like, yo, you're going TDY in like two months. And I was like, what? So that was a frantic thing. I had to like bring in family, bring in my parents. Like, can you take my daughter? Luckily, she wasn't in school yet. So it was easier to send her back home to Texas, which wasn't too far away. But it, it was an adjustment because I wasn't used to like not coming home every day to her. Even if like I had days I worked late and stuff before previously, I always got to like see her every day. And so it was like, it was exciting because I was excited for the new experience and to be like in this ops world, but then also like tore up my heartstrings when I would like not be able to be there to drop her off at daycare or, you know, not talk to her as much as I would like to and see her. Yeah, I think you touched on all the challenges that women sometimes face in the military, especially like if their spouse is a civilian or even if you're dual military, and you can't get signed together. There's like so many challenges and dynamics and it's like the mission still goes and you're like, wait, I still have to figure everything out. Like, no, we're going TDY. You got to figure it out. You got to come up with that family care plan. And and sometimes that's really hard. Well, and I think that's why like, military to military that we, we get so close as like I leaned really heavily on another um, couple that we were friends with. He was a cop and then his wife was prior Air Force, but she was out and they had a daughter. And so we became very close. And I was like, can you like pick her up from the CDC because he doesn't get off of his night shift and I have to be on, you know, on the Herc leaving. Like, can you just like watch her for a few hours until his shift's over? So I think that's why we get so close because we really just don't have any choice. You kind of just create your own family and, and try to rely on them as best as you can. Yeah, you. I remember my first week here, they were in Virginia. They were like, who's your emergency contact? I'm like, well, I know this person who lives down the street. <laughs> Maybe they could be it. I agree. And then you move and you have to do it all over again. And you, you make friends really fast because you're like, can you be my emergency person? And they're like, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So besides the challenges you faced as being a mom, but you sound, it sounded like you had a really great time there and you got to experience so much in the military. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about from Little Rock before we move to your next assignment? I'm trying to think like there's just so much I could probably have a whole nother episode just on that. I would say if they ever got like an opportunity to see any, what are they called? Um, air shows at Nellis when they have like all of the weapons schools. 
and or be able to go to Nellis and look at the uh, Weapons Squadron Museum. Totally cool to like know about the history of all of these um, squadrons over time and and their contribution to each you know campaign that we were in. So I, I would definitely recommend that. It's it's a really neat story. I've been to a few air shows and that one was my favorite because there was so much to see and do and it was really cool. So you transferred one more time. So around beginning of 2013, end of 2012, I went through a lot of challenges um, health-wise for myself, health-wise for my husband at the time. He got diagnosed with epilepsy related to his service in the Marine Corps. And it just wasn't working anymore because we had a young kid. I got called back one time on TDY because he had a seizure. Luckily, our kid wasn't there. She was visiting family. And it just got more and more difficult. And I was like, okay, like maybe I need to compromise and like do reserves or guard or something. But like this isn't working anymore as much as I loved it. And so my command, I remember, like was really heartbroken. They did everything they could to like make it work. They were really understanding but I was like, I just like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm too, I'm, my anxiety was through the roof. It was just really bad. So I made the decision to look into like the palace chase programs and let me kind of go the reserve path. Well, during that time, they had done so much drawdown with the Air Force in prior years that they actually kept denying me because they needed the same rank and same career field. They were like, no, we need you. You can't get out. So I also had a miscarriage during that time his medical diagnosis. And so it was just a lot of stuff adding up. Well, through that process of trying to transition out, I knew I didn't want to get totally out as a civilian. I still wanted to like have some kind of military tie. So I found out I was pregnant again. And so I finally pulled a pregnancy card and it still haunts me to this day. Not that there's anything to be like ashamed of. It was just like something I felt like I didn't really want to do, but I felt like my hand was forced because I couldn't get out any other way. And my marriage was suffering. My child needed me you know, my spouse wasn't doing good. So I took the pregnancy card and the Air Force gave me one week to get out. And it was like two weeks before Christmas. So we all know there's like no one for out processing. So I'm here like at that time, like by the time I got orders, it was like six months pregnant, went to TAP, which was honestly a waste of time because it's not really one built for a lot of women veterans, I feel like, and also not ones that are pregnant because who's going to hire a pregnant lady, right? So I was just annoyed because I was like, I got to like do all this stuff. I got to move out of base housing. Like, why am I here? This is a waste of time. So I got out, I packed up the entire house. My spouse at the time was still like he had moved back early to try to get a job. He still didn't have a job. So it's, you know, the week before Christmas, signed on the dotted line. And I was like, okay, like we're taking a leap of faith. And I joined the Air Force Reserve. And I advocated a lot for my spot there. I went and like actively sought out different uh, reserve units in my area uh, back home. So I was assigned to the 26th Aeroport Squadron in Kelly, part of uh, JBSA, Joint Base San Antonio. So I took an admin job there because that's all they had. I couldn't find like a more IT-centric job. That was in December, gave birth to my youngest daughter in February, and then reported for duty four weeks later because we had no money. So I was like, Somebody's got to work. Like, and so I was like, I'm here. Give me orders. Like, I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> They're like, you're not even supposed to be here yet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm here. Give me something to do. So, and then even in between that transition time, moving home, like my parents were telling us like, oh, well, you can live in your you know childhood home. We're going to retire and kind of make this whole transition. It'll just be easier for you to get on your feet. Well, my dad got in a really bad car accident and almost passed away in January 
right after I got out between having my baby and um, getting out. And so like March, when I came back from my first uh, reserve weekend, I was just remember sitting in my room crying and like sobbing, like I'm 28 years old living in my room from childhood with my entire family and super postpartum, which I didn't know. And I was just like, I threw my life away. Like, I don't know how I got here. So transition was definitely, I did not think it was going to be that hard. I thought like, oh, that's for like people that have been in for all these years. And, you know, I just really didn't see myself like fitting that. And I really, really struggled. I think that's one of the myths around transition is that, oh, like I've only been in like five. I was I was in for six years and I was like, it's not gonna be a big deal. I've only been in for six years. It hasn't changed my life that much. But then when you leave the military and especially you went through so many different challenges, you realize like, oh, I'm not the same person. And I just lost like all the support <laughs> that the military was giving me. And now it's gone. And and then the world's falling apart. And like, I was in for the same amount of time active duty and I really like didn't know how much it changed me until I got out and like even just trying to fit in like finding mom's groups and just feeling really out of place and people were like I could never leave my kid and it was just like no one knew how to talk to each other. I didn't know how to relate to other people that were my age. I didn't know how to relate to other women that had kids my age. I just felt really awkward and alone and isolated. Yeah, I think so many women feel that way because I definitely felt that way. I felt really alone. I felt really isolated. And I felt like I was the only one who was struggling the way that I was struggling. And especially being a woman veteran, because I didn't know any other women who are getting out of the military and I didn't have any support. And whenever I tried to like look for resources, which I didn't really look that hard because I didn't want to be a part of the veteran community, I always felt like it was job focused and not community focused. So I didn't think the veteran community would be a place to not feel so alone. I just thought it would be all about finding a job. And it wasn't until years later that I find out (laughs) how great the veteran community is and how supportive it is and that I'm not alone. And there's other people feeling the same way that I did and that they're trying to make changes in the veteran community. But yeah, I share the exact same experience. That's that's crazy. I think that's a good segue to your nonprofit because I really wanted to spend some time talking about that. I know we kind of like jumped over a few things, but I just really think that it's a good time to talk about it because I think I admire what you're doing starting a nonprofit to help veterans, especially women veterans. So let's talk about why you started it and then what it is. Sure. So, well, first off, I want to say like, I totally look up to you. So like you even saying that is like really awesome. But uh, I I decided to start it. Um, and I guess officially in 2020, like sitting at my house, like everybody else, pondering life. And I was just like, really uh, inspired by my coworkers who are both young entrepreneurs, they're 10 and 12 years younger than me. And they balance that mind you, they don't have kids. But I was like, you know, they have like their own thing going like I, I could finally do this. And I had been going back and forth, but I didn't really ever have like the financial stability and things needed to happen before there's a lot that happened that we can't cover between that time period. But um, I decided that uh, I was just gonna go and I googled like, what does it take to to um, create a DBA? 
So I actually started as DBA, just sole source, filed it with the the county. And I looked up another like mompreneur in the area that made shirts because that was really important to me is to support other women and other women better known companies. And I said, hey, can you make me this shirt? Like I got this logo done from another woman owned company. Um, she was like, sure. So I like made this tank top and it had my little logo on it for her Women's Veteran Society. And I just started like going on Facebook and like bombing everyone's events like I was like oh cool this is up for the veterans and then I just like showed up and was like hey I'm Danielle I'm like creating this new women veteran thing and I just would really like y'all to be a part of it you know any other women vets like send in my info and I had like my website on the back that I had built and that's like how I got started. And that was just in like May June of last year that I started like really doing it. And then um I got our nonprofit back in, let's see, like a couple months ago now, we were officially a nonprofit. But I started kind of for selfish reasons, because I just really wanted to meet women veterans, because I knew we were out there. But it was like, we were hidden. Like, I, I was like, where do you meet? Like, I know we exist. I served with other women. And I couldn't find any resources. Well, of course, when you create something, then everything comes out of the woodwork. So I like, put myself on Facebook was like, Hey, did this thing with my own money and time. I know we live near like military town, USA, there's got to be some women veterans out in this Austin, San Antonio area. And then I got like, amazing comments back that were like, yo, this is so cool. Pink Berets was like, hey, there's another woman veteran organization in town. They totally were like, took me under their wing. It was really sweet about, you know, forwarding all my stuff or tagging me. Women Veterans of San Antonio was another group. So I was like, where were y'all? Like, I would have just came to your stuff. So I kind of got nervous and was like, oh, no, like here I am this little person like trying to do this big, huge thing. And they're already doing it. So maybe I should just quit. And my friend was like, no, like you're like the difference is you like you're doing it. You should continue to do it. And there's nothing in your immediate area. So just keep doing it. And so that's kind of what we grew into. We've had a few events like doing stand up paddleboard yoga and we like to gather for like um, coffee and you know just going and do local events. We're going to be in the Silkies hike for Reverend Warriors at the end of this month. And then we just finally uh, finally got some funding through our local community about two weeks of fun two weeks ago a fundraiser. And so we're um, kicking off two new programs um, that we'll be a primary resource with, which will work with financial literacy and credit repair stuff, um, so that every woman veteran can you know, use their benefits that they earn. Uh, for example, like buying a house, I finally was able to buy my own house as a single mom. Um, and, and the other thing is trying to get a women veteran exclusive group for PTSD and MST support group. So those are the two things we're trying to focus on now that I have a board of directors and I have help and we're growing. And so, yeah, I'm super stoked about that. I know I'm a fast talker, but I know we're on a crunch. So I'm trying to highlight all the good things, but yeah. Yeah, there's so much good stuff going on and it's really exciting to see. And I love that you got support from the other organizations and that when you were like, well, there's kind of already stuff there. Someone's like, no, no, you got to keep going and not to just be like, yeah, just tag team. Because sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm really tired of like doing all this work. Maybe I should just like let someone else do it. But I know that what I'm doing really matters and that it's important and we all need to do our part to help women veterans and the veteran community at large. And I just really think it's great what you're doing. So I love it. I wanted to give two other quick shout outs. I forgot in that. And one was Freedom Sisters, which you had um, interviewed um, her before. And that's how I kind of found out about you and them and also Camouflage Sisters um, when I interviewed both you and Lila Holly. And so it's been really great. I thought it I thought it would be 
more of a competitive thing, unfortunately, when you talk about women in, in business. But what I've found is like our sisters in service are very uh, giving and supportive. And I've gotten nothing but like good things and good vibes coming from all the women veteran groups. So that's really, really heartwarming. Yeah, that's really great to hear. Yeah, so many great women veteran organizations. And I was the same way. I was like, where are these women? I know there's women veterans, but where are they? And like, when I first started my podcast, I was like, how am I going to find them? But I found them. They're out there ready to tell their story. And I'm just really thankful that we connected and I'm excited for the future. And I always like to end the interview with what advice would you give to a young lady who's considering joining the military? I would say advocate for yourself. Make sure no one pigeonholes you into something you don't want to do. Make sure that it's truly something you want to do for yourself and not for anyone else. And make sure that you go in with your eyes wide open. You know, talk to, if you can, other veterans, specifically women veterans that have joined to help you understand what you're getting yourself into. And lastly, just have a fantastic time. I think that's great advice. And can you say the name of your organization one more time? And I'm also going to be in the show notes. So if you want to find it, but just say it one more time so people can find it. Sure. It's Her Women's Veteran Society. And our uh, website is www.vetslikeher.org. Perfect. Thanks so much for being a guest. I'm really excited that we got to do this interview. Thank you so much, Amanda. This week's episode. If this is your first time listening to Women of the Military podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast. There are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in, joining, serving, leaving the military, or just learning about the women who have served in the military. If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash women of the military. And if you enjoyed Women of the Military podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service.